In Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14, the Bible tells us that the Lord asked Abraham a big question. Anytime God asks a question, it's a big question, isn't it? He said, Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? And of course, that question was answered long before Jeremiah. But the prophet Jeremiah answers that question in chapter 32 and verse 17 when he says, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Now, throughout this message today, I'm going to stop and cough. Are y'all cool with that? Because I know I usually do that anyway, but probably a little more today. So um, we look around the world, we look at the news, and we know what's going on. We live in a time of turmoil and tumult, a lot of perversion in our world today. You know, I was reading the other day in Scripture, and it talked about in the last days before Jesus comes, that men and women would actually invent new sins. And I think we're living in that time. War is rampant. It's all over the world. It's even in our own streets. The rebellion against God is at an all-time high. Abuse, even of our children, taking place. It is not uh, something that's uh, lessening or going down in the numbers, but it's climbing. Violence is everywhere. Hatred, unforgiveness, blasphemy. And so we wonder, and sometimes we wonder out loud, where is God? Why doesn't God do something? And that's why it's so important that we know our Bible. Um, the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is God's letter to us, God's love letter to us. And we need to read our Bible. A lot of people say, I don't understand the Bible. Most of the time, that's because you're not reading it. Um, it's easy to say the reason I don't read the Bible is I don't understand. Actually, it's usually the other way around. We don't read it, so we don't understand it. Accept Christ as your personal Savior, and then you'll have the teacher, the actual author of the book, living in you. So when you read it, he will enlighten you, and he will teach you the Scriptures. But there are many, many tools, more than ever before. As we look around us and talk about the perversion and the sin, that's probably at an all-time high, but I gotta tell you something. Being able to learn what the Bible says and understand the scripture, that's at an all-time high too. As a matter of fact, we offer a free Bible for anybody who wants one every time we have a worship service. And we, only not, on, we not only uh, offer you a Bible, but we encourage you to pick a Bible up for somebody who doesn't know the Lord and just give that to them. A Bible that's easy to understand, easy to comprehend. So many study tools. And if you know the Bible and you know the scriptures, and the only way to know it is just go ahead and get in. Stop talking about what you don't know and just go ahead and get in. If you're new to the scripture, I would go to John. I would just start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then I would start in that fourth book, John, and just read that book and, and study it and read what the great commentators have to say about the book of John and then go from there. The scriptures remind us that God is limitless in his power. When you read the Bible, you cannot read it with an open mind and not come away with that truth that he's limitless in his power. He can do anything he wants to, anytime he wants to. So last weekend and today, we're talking about that limitless power of God. And, and then next week and the next week, we're going to talk about how we can limit God how God allows us to limit him by our faith and by our prayers and 
by our lifestyle, we can limit God. So we're going to talk about that in detail next week, how that we can put God in a box and we can actually bind his hands. So you need to be here next week. But I want you to listen today because we're going to talk more about how God can do anything and he's limitless. Last week we talked about how he keeps every promise. There's not a promise God can't keep. Good news is there's not a promise God won't keep. Told you last week there are over 30,000 promises in the Bible. God's gonna keep every one of them. Most of them he already has kept, but there's still some to come. He keeps every promise, he will. He's made a promise to you maybe out of the, out of the scripture. He's made you a promise personally. Several people shared with me last weekend, Pastor, God told me this several months ago or years ago, and, and I know he said that to me. I know he spoke that into my heart, and he's confirmed that several times. If that's true, then I promise you it will come to pass. When God speaks, it comes to pass. He keeps every promise. And then we looked at how there is no prayer God cannot answer. He can answer every prayer. So here's what we want to talk about today. What we want to say today is that there is no problem God cannot solve. Is that good news for anybody here today? There's no problem God cannot solve. Let me just ask this question. Anybody got problems? Anybody here got problems? We all got problems, man. Everybody has problems. And here's what I've come to say to you today, and it's very, very, very simple, and I often say this. They're probably teaching the same thing in kids' church today. That's how simple this is. But there is no problem too big for God. If you have your Bible and you want to turn with me, I'm going to be reading out of the Amplified Bible. I love the Amplified Bible. It does a lot of the work for you. If you don't have that Bible in your library, I would encourage you to get it. But in Psalm 37, verses 3 through 5. Now remember last week I told you that when God makes a promise, there's always something attached to that promise. Do you remember what that was? Condition. There's always a condition attached to the promises of God. God is not some big Santa Claus God sitting up in heaven allowing you to make any wish you want and he just grants it. He's not a genie in a lamp. You rub the lamp, God pops out, you get to make wishes. He promises you things, but there are conditions. Now we're going to look at a scripture here that is filled with some incredible, amazing promises of God to solve our problems. But there are conditions to every one of them. Let's look at it. The very first word is a condition. You have to what? So if you're gonna, if God, if you want him moving in your life, then you gotta trust him. Now that trust can be tested in you because we know how to talk the talk, don't we? We know how to say, man, I trust God. You know, we get mad. They think about taking in God. We trust off the, buy, off the uh, money. We're like, man, I don't like that. But then I wonder how much we really do trust God. Do we really trust him? Because, you know, while we're looking at him saying, I trust you, and while we're looking at other Christians saying, I trust him, I trust him so much, we're over here working with this hand trying to fix the situation. We, we won't let go, we won't give it to him, we won't trust him. You trust by letting go. You say, but what if there is a role for me to play? Then he'll tell you. He'll tell you what that is. But trust him, let it go and trust him. 
This is why I like the Amplified Bible. Trust in the Hebrew, which means lean on, rely on, and be, there's our word again, remember this word from last week? And be what? Confident in the Lord. And here's another condition. And what? Do good. Now, we don't do good to be right with God. We do good because we are right with God. Good works is the fruit of a life connected to God. If you know God through Jesus Christ, have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, out of your life is going to flow good works. Good works. That's why we're all the time bugging you guys about getting in a place of service getting into a place of ministry, helping somebody, being a blessing to somebody. Because there are two things in this scripture God wants you to do. He wants you to trust him and he wants you to serve. He wants you to trust him and he wants you to serve. Then he says, if you will trust me and serve and be good, do good, he says, here's what's gonna happen. So shall you dwell in the land and feed surely on his faithfulness. So if you're feeding on his faithfulness, it's never gonna run out. Your needs are always gonna be met. And truly, look at this, you what? Shall be fed. Your problems shall be taken care of. Your needs shall be met. I love what it says in the New Testament. Paul said it according to his riches and glory. Not according to Pastor Farrell's bank account, and you better be really happy about that. Not according to the Bridges bank account. This may shock some of you, but not according to the government's bank account, because they're in big trouble. But according to his bank account, he will supply all of your needs according to his riches. I'm so glad it's based on his. Thank God it's based on his. They never run out. Go to the next verse. We're still in Psalm 37, verses three through five. Here comes a condition. Here comes a condition. Delight yourself also in. Now let me just stop right there. Find your joy in. Find your fulfillment in. Not the things of the world. Not what the world offers. But find your delight in, find your joy in, find your fulfillment in, find your contentment in the Lord. Find your contentment in the Lord. So we gotta just stop now, we gotta pause, and we gotta ask ourselves: do I find my delight in the Lord? Is my delight in the Lord? Well, here's how you tell. When you don't get what you thought you were gonna get, when you don't get that raise, when you don't get that job, when you don't get that money, when you don't get that whatever it was you were expecting, when you don't get that attention, when you don't get that whatever, and you lose your delight because something happened negative in your life, then your delight is not in him. Your delight is in circumstances. Now this is way easier said than done. 
Because most people, even most people in the church, do not delight themselves in the Lord. They delight themselves in how good their circumstances are. Isn't that true? Hey, look, I fall into that pit all the time. You know, I get up here, I love God, man. We sing, I love God my whole life. My life is in you, Lord. Everything's in you. I fully trust you. And then something bad happens, we fall apart. We lose our joy. Do you know how bad that hurts our testimony? It hurts our testimony when we react out there just like those who don't know God react when they get disappointed. So when disappointment comes in your life, if you lose your joy, if you you lose your delight, if you fall into depression and you fall into uh, hopelessness, and you start whining and comp- that's just like people who don't know God. So when the world watches us and we say, my delight is in the Lord, and then we have a bad circumstance and we fall apart or we get on Facebook, Facebook and put something stupid on there about I just won't give up and I'll tell you somebody better call me right now. I, I'm thinking about ending it all. You know. By the way, if you were, you wouldn't put it on Facebook. Mm. Delight yourself also in the Lord and what? He what? He what? That one word. He, he, he will, baby. He will. He will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. You say, well, now that sounds like a genie God right there. That sounds like a Santa Claus God right there. He'll give me the desires and the secret petitions of my heart. Yeah, but there's a condition. Now, if your delight is in the things of the world, he's not going to give you the desires and secret petitions because you're going to be asking for the wrong things. But if your desire and your delight is in him, your prayers will line up with his will. Does that make sense? So see, when the Bible says, ask what you will in my name and it shall be given, all you got to do is study the scriptures. It bears it out every single time. That promise is made to people whose lives are aligned with Jesus Christ because they know, Jesus knows, God knows, the Holy Spirit knows that when you're lined up with God spiritually, you don't pray for stupid stuff. People who are lined up with God, and look, if you got a Corvette, I'm really happy for you. And I'd like to borrow it, okay? So let's just get that settled right now. If you got a really nice, cool car. But if your delight's in that, then when you lose it, you're not going to be delightful anymore. It's so important that we understand that our joy has to come from the Lord. If your joy comes from circumstances, you're going to ruin the testimony of the church. Let's go to the last verse. Here comes another, another condition. We're talking about God meeting our needs. We're talking about God solving our problems. So he's telling us what we got to do to get lined up with him so we can get our problems solved because we serve a problem-solving God. He says, now, if you want your problem solved, let's start with a condition. People serve God halfway and are mad at him because he don't give to them all the way. People serve God flippantly. People serve God without 
intention. They don't do it deliberately. Their relationship with him is casual. It's on and off. And then the moment something happens in their life, bad, they, they get mad at God. They'll tell you, buddy, I just don't understand. I'm mad. I just don't get this. He said, commit your way to the Lord. And here's what, here's what commit means. I love this. Roll and repose each care of your load on him. Give it to him. What did I say in the beginning? Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. That should be a worship song in this church. So commit your way to the Lord. Here comes another condition. There, we just covered that one, didn't we? But look what the writer does. He gives us the meaning again because he wants us to get this. Lean on, rely on, and be confident in who? Capital H right there, baby. It's not talking about me. It's talking about him. And he bring it to pass. Conditions, promises are based on conditions. Based on conditions. But we live in a social environment that's very, very, very permissive. That's why when I said last week in the second service, didn't say it to you guys, so I want to go ahead and say it here. I want to make everybody mad. I don't want to just make the second service mad. That if you're separated from somebody in your marriage, you are married. Thank all three of you. When you're separated, when you're separated from somebody, you're still married. Now look, if you don't, if you don't, you can get mad at me. People got mad, put on Facebook, got mad about what I said last week. I'm tore up. <laughs> so look, listen. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm tore up. <laughs> when I read that, I just coughed on my computer. I just coughed on it. <laughs> so, yeah, I gave my computer a virus. Yeah, that's good. All right. So when you're separated from somebody, you know, now I'm not going to preach on this, but this is just an example. When you're separated from somebody, you, it may end in a divorce. I hope it don't. God doesn't want it to. God wants it to stay together. I can tell you that. I like people who call me and go, I want you to pray for God's will for my marriage. I don't have to pray for God's will for your marriage. He wants you to stay together. Now, it takes two. It takes two people who earnestly love God. And a marriage can work if two people earnestly love God. There is no way that God's here and he's here and she's here and they're both really, really close to God without being really, really close to each other if they're really, really close to God. So when you are separated and you date somebody, that's adultery. Now I know, I know, look, it's going to be on Facebook again today. Hey, listen, listen, listen. I didn't make that rule. I didn't make that rule. He says, is that a policy at the bridge? No, it's a policy in heaven. Now, you might not like that. I know our society is very permissive. And I know that the permissiveness of our society has wiggled its way into the church. And now when preachers preach what they used to preach 20 years ago and they got an amen, now they get, I don't know if I agree with that or not. Hey, that's fine. Because I'm 58 years old, baby. Now, if I was some young buck 
and I hadn't, didn't have a little, you might throw me off a little bit if folks get ticked off. Hey, I'm just the male man. If you want to talk to the one who sent the mail, you take that thing I just said to you and you take it to him and tell him how ticked off you are about what your pastor said this morning. Don't come to me with it. I'm just telling you what the man who wrote the book said. Amen. I know it's hard. Hey, listen. It's hard, man, when all your friends are out there going, man, I'm getting a separation baby and I'm out to the clubs next weekend and then I'll be at the bridge Thursday. <laughs> I know. So don't, don't live that lifestyle and then come to the bridge and when your pastor says, here's what God said, get all huffy with me. <laughs> all right? That was karate kid right there. So you go, you know, really, Pastor, all this stuff, really? When's, when's he going to do it for me? I, I don't see it happening in my life. Now, God, when sometimes, watch this now, because i got to cover everything. So sometimes when you're really, really, really faithful to God and you are walking close to him and you're committed and you're trusting and you're all those things, sometimes it still doesn't happen what you pray. And the problem still doesn't get solved. Because God's way is better than your way. So sometimes God will move and you were so wanting him to move this way that when he moved that way, you didn't like it. You didn't like it. It's like Mary and Martha. We need you to come now. Lazarus is sick. Come now. Jesus came two days later. Lazarus wasn't sick anymore. He's dead. And these women who, what, loved Jesus. They loved him. But they were ticked, buddy. They were ticked off. That's the Greek word, ticked off. <laughs> Go to the next scripture in uh, Isaiah. Isaiah says, this is God talking. God, God says now, and I know we use this scripture often, but you've got to get this because when you know you're lined up spiritually and you know you're walking in God and you know you got that intimacy and you're delighting in him and trusting him and committing your ways to him and stuff still doesn't work out, then here's the scripture you need to consider. God says, the way you think is not the way I think. Your thoughts, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways of doing things my ways of doing things. Says who? Verse 9, for as the heavens are high, he's talking about how far apart the way he works and thinks is from how we work and think. He says, here's how far apart it is. As high, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher, better than yours. And my thoughts than your thoughts. See, it's all about trusting him. It's all about even in confusion, even when you've prayed, even when you've said, I've done everything Pastor Farrell said. I've done everything we went over in my small group. I've done it. I've fasted. I've prayed. My life's lined up. And still, then you need to remember that his ways are not yours. His thoughts are not yours. And I'll, I'll tell you this. Most of the time, I'm not going to say every time because that could be overpromising, but most of the time down the road, you will see 
what he was doing and why he did it. Now, here's how we are about that. We don't go back and give him much credit. We don't go back and say, oh, man, God. A good illustration of this, and write this down in your, in your margin of your notes, is Psalm 73. When the Christian guy is looking at the sinner guy, and the sinner guy is living better than he is. And he's mad. And in verses 1 through 16 of Psalm 73, he's letting God have it. But then in verse 17, he says, I realized I wasn't right with you, God. And I got back in your presence. And when I got back in your presence, I realized where he was going to end up and where I was going to end up. And he says to God in Psalm 73, don't read it now. It might be more interesting in my sermon than my sermon, but don't read it right now. In Psalm 73, he says to God, I was as a dog barking at you, howling at you. And that's how we get, man, when stuff doesn't work out like we prayed and asked for. We just, you know, we're just like a howling dog. I think about um, how God works differently. And I thought about how, you know, when those serpents fiery serpents were biting the Israelites because they had sinned. They had sinned in two ways. Number one, they murmured and complained. And their murmuring and complaining was born out of their lack of thanksgiving. Boy, that's... mm. You talk about making the Word of God relevant to our day. Our murmuring and complaining comes out of the same thing. Matter of fact, the word murmur sounds like complaining. Murmur, murmur, murmur. So they're murmuring and complaining because they forgot what God had done for them. Mm, mm, I hope you get that. And the other thing they did, they made fun of the manna. God gave them food in the wilderness and they mocked it and they criticized it and they complained against the manna. And the manna was a picture of God's provision. It was even a picture of Christ's spiritual food and they mocked it. They laughed at it. They made light of it. And those two sins of murmuring and making light of the provision of God. See, listen, I don't know what you make on your job. I'm sure it's probably not enough. But man, don't make light of that. That's God's provision. It might be a little bit, but it's still God's provision. So be thankful for whatever you're getting. And you might say, Pastor, I can't pay my bill. I understand. But hold that little bit up and just thank God. Just thank him for it. So, you know, manna, and you can understand a little bit about the manna thing because manna means what is it? So when it came down from the sky, they looked at it and went, oh, what is, what is it? Has your wife ever tried a new recipe? And when she put it on the table, it didn't look like any food you ever seen. And you said something really stupid that put you on the couch. Listen, all you got to do, guys, write this down. Ladies, you just don't even have to hear this. Look at your wife next time she puts something on the table and you don't know what in the world. Just go, manna from heaven. <laughs> and she won't remember this sermon. She'll just think, aw. But really what you'll be saying is, what is it? Well, what is that? <clears throat> anyway, I'm here to help you. Um, so let's read in numbers. Let's read about this. 
Then the Lord sent fiery burning serpents, not just serpents, fiery burning serpents. Boy, God didn't play in the Old Testament, did he? Then the Lord sent fiery burning serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. You know what that's called right there? And you like it or not like it, but you know what that's called? It's called the correction of God. It's called chastisement of God. Thank God we got a daddy in heaven who will spank us. I know I can get a lot of amens right there, but y'all would be in jail if he didn't spank you. 21 verse 7, and the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. That's a great place to start when you got fiery burning serpents biting you. That's a great place to start. Don't start with, what's God doing? Start with you. What condition did we not meet? Remember that last week? What condition did I not meet? So they knew that and met one of God's conditions. For we have sinned, for we have spoke against the Lord and against you, Moses, our pastor. Did y'all get that? Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Leave it right there, guys. Leave it right there. So Moses prayed for the Moses, what's another word for prayed? Interceded. So Moses is a picture of Jesus in the, in the book of Exodus. Moses is a picture of Jesus. The people were in Egypt, bound up in Egypt, and God sent Moses to set them free. The great emancipator, the freedom, the one who brought freedom. He was a picture of Jesus. Here, he's, here he stay, remains a picture of Jesus even after in the wilderness, after they've come out of the Egyptian bondage because Moses is interceding for the people. And that's what Jesus does for us. Read it in Hebrews. He makes intercession for us. Go to the next verse. And the Lord said to Moses, see, what did they want, what did they want God to do? What did they want God? What was their solution? Take the serpents away. See, that's how we are in the world. God, why don't you just kill the devil? Just kill the devil. Uh, why don't you just um, take away temptation? Why don't you just take away all the bad stuff in the world? Why don't you just take away suffering? Why don't you just take all that away? And that, that was their solution. Kill the serpents. Kill them. But here's what God's plan was. Remember, we're talking about God's thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are higher than ours. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent of bronze and set it on a pole like Jesus on a cross. And everyone who is bitten, when he looks at the bronze serpent on the pole, shall, shall live. It's a picture of Jesus. Let's go on. Where am I at here? Okay. And Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole. And if a serpent had bitten any man, when that man who'd been bitten looked to the serpent of bronze, and this is so big and I can't even preach on it. There's so much here to preach. Didn't just glance at it the way so many people do. They want to glance at Jesus and go, okay, I'm a Christian. He said, whoever looks on that serpent of bronze attentively, expectantly, with a steady and absorbing gaze, that means real selling out 
Not just a glance at Jesus, but a selling out, he lived. So their way was remove the serpents, remove them. God's way was, I'm going to lift up a serpent on a pole. And if you will look to that, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men to me. That is a picture of Jesus. Do your Bible study. Jesus is all through the Bible. He's all through the Bible. So God wants us to look on him alone, believe in him, receive him. We, we have ways we want to do things. You know, I heard about a couple of people who didn't like the way God did things. You know, they, you've probably heard this story before, but I'm going to just share it real quick. The scientists watched every day as the caterpillar would fight the cocoon and fight the cocoon until finally uh, he would tear a hole in it. And over a process of days, that caterpillar would keep fighting and keep fighting until finally he opened up that cocoon and he wasn't a caterpillar anymore. He was a monarch butterfly with huge, beautiful, colorful wings and he would fly. And one day the scientist felt sorry for the, for the little caterpillar and so he took his scissors and he cut the cocoon and he opened it up and the caterpillar died. Because see, we are like that. We want it easy. We want it easy, or I want to be a big, colorful butterfly. I want to soar. I want to see the heights. I want to have the best, but I don't want to struggle. That's not God's way. You're going to struggle in this journey, but it makes you strong, and it makes you powerful, and it makes you soar above your problems. And then I heard about a farm boy one time, and he was looking around at all the stuff on the farm, and he said, you know, I don't understand how, why God made some stuff like he did. He said, this big old acorn tree over here, this big old oak tree, got little tiny acorns hanging in it. He said, and then you got this little piddly vine on the ground, it's got these huge watermelons. He said, that doesn't make any sense. The watermelon should have been on this huge, strong oak tree. And about that time, an acorn hit him on the head. <laughs> how many of y'all know God knows what he's doing? <laughs> amen, amen. Let me give you one more thing. In closing, seriously, I'm sick and y'all better be glad. Number four, <laughs> not only is there no promise God isn't going to keep, there's no prayer God cannot answer, there's no problem he cannot solve. I want to give you one more. There's no person God cannot save. I want you to think of the meanest person you know and don't point at anybody. I was just thinking about maybe some people at work that are just using profanity and filth. And just think about people who are, who are unfaithful, people you know who are dangerous to even be around. Listen to me, God can save that person. And when I say God will save anybody, I mean anybody who will come to him. Anybody who will come to him, he will save them. The Bible says, how can, how can they know unless a preacher preaches? And, and how can they come to him unless the Holy Spirit calls them? And so when the word of God goes forth and the Holy Spirit deals with a person, I want to tell you, there's nobody God can't save. Let me give you a couple of scriptures and then we're done. Romans 10, 11 through 13. The scripture says, no man who believes in him, that is God, who adheres to, 
relies on and trusts in him will ever be put to shame or be disappointed. When a person comes to the altar, whether it's in their chair or in their car or at home in the bedroom or in the bathroom kneeling down by the great white throne, it doesn't really matter where you are. If you will call on his name, he will not disappoint you. He will not put you to shame. He will save you. He will save you. There's nobody God can't save. Paul said, I was the chief sinner. Paul said, when it came to sinning, I was number one. I mean, you remember when Stephen got stoned in the Bible? You remember that story in Acts chapter 6, over there, 6, 7? Stephen was stoned, that great young preacher. Paul was behind that. But he wasn't Paul then. What was his name then? Saul. And he held the coats. The Bible says he held the coats of the people who stoned that young preacher boy to death. Paul said, I was the worst, man. Paul said, there's nobody worse than me. I was the worst. Verse 12, no one, I think I had a little bit more to go on that uh, last slide, back that up, number 12. No one, for there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, or Greek here, but Gentile, that's what that means. I think most of us are Gentiles, so are y'all happy about that last part? That God doesn't just save Jews? but we were included, amen? Now, go to that next slide. The same Lord is Lord over how much? All of us, and he generously bestows his riches upon how many? Who do what? Call upon his name, how? For everyone, not a select few, not a predetermined few, but everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, invoking him as Lord, what does it say right there? will be saved. I'll read one from Revelation. The Bible says in Revelation twenty two seventeen, the Holy Spirit and the bride, the church, say come and let him who is listening say come and let everyone come who is thirsty. And look at that word. And what? Whoever. See it right there? And whoever, and I left out some of this, but you can read that on your own. Whoever desires to do it, let him come, take, appropriate, and drink the water of life, capital L, talking about Jesus, drink the water of life without, because it's already been paid for. Let's all stand together this morning.